This is Sun and Vision from KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. Pitchfork published an article last week called What It's Like to Be Black in Indie Music. Its author is Matthew James Wilson. I recently spoke with Matthew about the artists he interviewed for the story and his personal experience in indie music. As you write in this article, you've been part of the indie music scene for a while now. You made zines, you've managed indie labels, you're a musician yourself. But in your article, you write that when you're kind of growing up in this scene, the older you got, you realized that so much of the indie community, as you say, discreetly functions to serve white people almost exclusively. What were you seeing around you when you came to this realization? As I became more a part of the industry at large, it was definitely sort of a shock to see that the the range of people who are working in these indie communities who were successful or could make a living doing it, or at the very least had the appearance that they were doing that, I think were largely white people. And I worked in an office in New York and a, a couple different labels shared that office. And I was like the only black person in the office. And for a lot of different projects I've worked on, I've been one of few, if not the only black person on them as I've sort of been able to do more and more work. And as I've risen to having more of like a management position at different labels, I think I've also been sort of, yeah, just frustrated to see the way that indie has maybe become a signal more of the aesthetic of work rather than the approach or the intentions that people have. Yeah, I mean, but it also seems like, you know, I, we did a series here on Sun and Vision called Day Job, where we interviewed a lot of indie artists, you know, and the reality that to be able to pursue your passion, a lot of folks have to have day jobs. And, you know, indie in general, you know, you're independent. And so it isn't very lucrative for a lot of artists or even people who are on the management or that side of it or promotion side of it, and which kind of, you know, leads me to think, you know, you probably need a lot, a, a big safety net around you. If you're going to take a leap at, you know, let's say you're a musician that you want to be an indie artist, like you kind of need that safety net around you in order to make it work, you know, and who has a big safety net? A lot of white people, you know, Definitely. and so it becomes like this cycle. And so, you know, realizing that for yourself growing up and seeing it play out today, like, what are things that you've been noticing within the indie music scene itself that kind of perpetuates that cycle where indie music, in a lot of cases, is made by white people and is consumed by a lot of white folks? I think a lot of people in the past decade have really tried to fix a lot of the problems with racism on this surface level and in the sort of representation that you see in a lot of places. And because of that, you see more labels wanting to sign black artists or more photo shoots for things, including black people in those photo shoots or whatever. Like there's different ways that black people I think have been brought into the fold of things in representation, but not so much in the apparatus that really lets all this stuff function. And I think because a lot of people have worked at certain labels for a very long time, or a lot of the music industry is sort of set up by these larger companies and the ones that stick around are often ones run by white people or where there's a lot of money involved. I think that where a lot of black people and black artists maybe are there helping to make changes, it's really hard for them to stick around if they either can't make a living very quickly or if there's just this history of other people sort of being in control. And I think privilege too is just something where people really don't think about it historically or don't think about it generationally. Even if somebody's parents aren't rich, if their grandparents are rich, then that sort of impacts 
ultimately their wealth and what they have. And I think for a lot of black people, if you go back only a couple generations, like their parents uh, or their grandparents or their great grandparents, a lot of them didn't have the privileges that they maybe have now. And because of that, they're still like set back pretty far behind and they maybe can't start their own company and they maybe can't invest in their own project the same way that I think a lot of people who are privileged enough to do that can. Yeah. And I think also in your article, you had mentioned that, you know, because we don't see a lot of black folks like in upper management roles, you know, making these big decisions that sometimes black artists can be misrepresented or aren't understood in a way. What do you see as ideas for fixes to, to so that indie music is more represented and that it isn't just kind of like this big mass of, of white folks? I think for us to have a more equal community in general, there just needs to be more of a balance of different voices and people with different backgrounds at every stage of the of the music industry rather than just on the surface and, and what people see. Because in a lot of ways, people, I think, are selling ideas by sort of changing representation on a surface level and, and are selling this sort of like allyship or, or wokeness that is maybe more so for that person to feel like they're doing their part or that they're sharing space in some way. But at the end of the day, if if the label is still, if everybody who's keeping their job, whether or not a record does well, is white, and if everybody who is sticking around in the industry after bands come and go are white, then I think that that's largely a problem because it's still sort of, even if they are choosing to work with a new black artist or whatever, it's kind of them choosing like what type of music they want to start profiting off of or what way that they want to rebrand what they're doing, but not think about how the actual office space is changing or how the relationships that they're uh, developing are actually changing. Mm-hmm. There's a, a portion of, of you know, your article in Pitchfork called What It's Like to be Black in Indie Music, where you talk about how black music has been appropriated for decades, if not centuries. Um, <laughs> and then you go into kind of the, the history behind the word hipster, which is thrown over, uh, around a lot today. Can you walk us through some of that history and especially as it kind of leads to the word hipster? Yeah, definitely. The history of a lot of counterculture and underground music does really go back to a lot of black music traditions like jazz. And and I think jazz is something that was an early black counterculture that a lot of white people maybe were able to feel comfortable in or start engaging with. And with the word hipster referring to the sort of white audience for a lot of jazz music and white journalists for a lot of jazz music. I think it was a way for a lot of white people to maybe assert their own narrative over what was going on or have this sense of ownership over the underground culture that was happening. And I think that with a lot of things that are attributed to beatniks and the sort of beat movement, where a lot of people maybe see that as the beginning of this underground culture for a lot of white people, a lot of black historians can maybe see that as the end of a much more black led and black owned counterculture that was happening. And now that so much time has passed and, and we're not experiencing that in real time, it's really easy for us to erase a lot of the black people who were involved in that. And a lot of the way that it was ultimately a white counterculture based on black culture or inspired by black culture. 
I'm speaking with Matthew James Wilson. He wrote an article in Pitchfork recently called What It's Like to Be Black in Indie Music. So in this article, you also interviewed a lot of Black artists who are in this indie genre about their perspectives and experiences. Would you say that there was a common thread through a lot of their stories in terms of their experiences? Yeah, I think a lot of them definitely had similar experiences being on the road as musicians touring. And I think a lot of them have also started their own projects or businesses out of necessity or just because of the experiences that they've had in the industry and recognizing that they really want to be in control and and have ownership over their own work. I think although a lot of them are making really different music and although a lot of them are coming from different parts of the country, it was really interesting to see how many of them had these similar experiences of feeling alienated or not really being heard by the people they worked with or feeling this pressure to just start their own business out of necessity. Was there a certain story or maybe a few stories like when you were interviewing these folks that that really stuck out to you? Like I'm thinking of Namdi, who we've had on this show before, um, talk about, you know, having to kind of create this fake management email. So he was pretending like he was sending emails on behalf of his management and would change his name rather than someone receiving an email from someone named Namdi that he wasn't getting a lot of responses from. He created this management email on behalf of himself with a different name. And all of a sudden he started getting more bites. Are there other stories that really stuck out to you when you were doing this reporting? Yeah, definitely. That one was crazy to hear. And I think a lot of people have faced problems being on the road, just feeling uncomfortable or or not, or feeling as though other people feel uncomfortable by their presence. And I think a lot of people talked about the interactions they've had with either completely white audiences night after night or people's experiences being in these spaces that are largely white people are filling and having people come up to them being like, isn't it so weird that you're here or creating more and more alienation for them rather than just sort of like welcoming them or or making them feel accepted in some way, especially for musicians that maybe live in bigger cities or uh, have grown up in a place that has been more welcoming or understands what their background is or what being black is like. I think going to small towns to play shows or or just being in these different environments every night is I think just really makes you more and more aware of your blackness in a way that I think a lot of white peers of these musicians maybe don't experience or don't feel all the time. So Matthew, you spent, you know, a, a few months working on this piece again it's called what it's like to be black in indie music and as you kind of reflect on all of kind of the reporting you've done or just observations you've had in your own life. I know you said you've kind of made hints to what maybe the indie music scene can do to make it more welcoming for those that are not white. And I'm curious what what ideas you have or or, or what you would like the, the scene to do to make it more welcoming for Blacks and other marginalized folks. Totally. I think for businesses, I think a lot of labels that are maybe scared about the future or uncertain about how to proceed, I think now is a really good time to think about the whole structure of what you're doing and what the intention of the business that you're running is. And I think where a lot of businesses and labels have been gatekeepers to opportunities and to resources, I think a lot of those labels recognizing that sharing some of those resources and opportunities with the general public or with people 
that there isn't just already a huge sales history for or whatever, I think realizing that that will be better for music as a whole and, and better for people as a whole is really important to recognize right now as just the economics around music are changing so much. It would be great to see a lot of labels and, and people working in music do more outreach and, and education around music and how the business works. I think it would be great for a lot of independent labels to really examine how they're marketing the releases and who they're advertising their releases to. I think something that a lot of the musicians talked about experiencing was playing to largely white crowds and feeling like their music was sort of just subject to a predominantly white gaze because of the audiences they're playing to or the ways that their music is being marketed. And I think for a lot of labels to be even more successful with the black artists they're working with, I think figuring out how to market more to the black community or engage in the black community more is really important for getting new black fans and for getting more young black people to feel like indie music is something that they can pursue and be involved in as well. Well, I've been speaking with Matthew James Wilson. Historian Pitchfork is called What It's Like to Be Black in Indie Music. Matthew, thank you so much for chatting today. Thank you so much for having me. That was Sound and Vision from KEXP, and this week is KEXP's Fall Fund Drive. We are a publicly funded station, which means the majority of our funding comes from listeners. Please help support shows like Sound and Vision by donating at kexp.org slash sound. And if money is tight right now, that's okay. You can still help support this podcast for free by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on your favorite podcast app. I'm Emily Fox. Thanks for listening.